Thank you, Brother Dale. I uh, was thinking about what I want to speak tonight, and uh, the space kind of theme came uh, to my mind. It was April 14, 1970, Captain or Commander Jack Swigert of Apollo 13, a, a mission that was supposed to land on the moon, um, had an explosion. And we've always heard it, I think because more of the movie than anything, Houston, we have a problem. And anytime something comes up, Houston, we have a problem. People say that all the time. Actually, he said, okay, Houston, we've had a problem. And the oxygen tanks had blown up. And it was very uh, tenuous as to whether they were going to make it back or not. And I was 10 years old. I remember us talking about that in fourth grade. And uh, people prayed for those astronauts and were concerned about the astronauts. NASA worked very, very hard to get them back. But that phrase has become kind of a euphemism for any time something goes wrong. Houston, we have a problem. And I want to say, in light of what I uh, shared with you, and we'll go back over some of those statistics, Houston, we have a problem. And we say we want to love Jesus, we want to serve Jesus, we want to tell people about Jesus, we want to have a, an impact as salt and light for Jesus, we want to do our good works so that others can see them and glorify our Father which is in heaven. On and on and on we go. We want to impact the nations. We want to impact the world. We want to impact our neighbors, our community. I pray regularly that our church would have open doors for our community, for our metro area, for our state, for our nation, and even in the world. But why doesn't it seem to be happening? We have more Christians in the, the United States than uh, probably any other country on the face of the earth. We've got more seminaries, Bible colleges. We've got more evangelical churches in this nation. In fact, I read not too long ago, out of uh, seven or eight, whatever it is now, billion people on the earth, when you think about Christians, over 90% of the trained and educated Christians in the world are right here in our country. And yet we're going to hell in a handbasket, as they say, and we're falling apart and we're unraveling, and yet we've got bigger churches than we've ever had before. Now, to be honest, we've got fewer people attending church, but we've got some really big churches. We've got a lot of money. We've got a lot of people giving to Christian, giving to Christian causes, and yet our culture seems to be going the wrong way. What in the world could be the problem. And I hear all the time, if you have any kind of, if you're a conservative, a Christian conservative, a Bible-believing, convictional believer, you know what you're going to be called, uh, probably by even people in the church. Well, you're just legalistic. You're a Pharisee. I'm tired of being a Pharisee. I'm walking away from all of the Pharisees. I want you to think about this. Jesus indicted the Pharisees for one basic thing, for being hypocrites. And if you will look in the uh, Gospel of Matthew and uh, kind of follow along with me, um, I want you to think about what Jesus had to say in uh, Matthew 23, in this indictment that Jesus gave. Ready? He said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you, what's your Bible say? 
Hypocrites. I'll give you a chance to find it. Okay, you hypocrites. Hypocrites. That's what really got Jesus' attention on things in a bad way. And he goes on to say that your hypocrisy shuts the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. Talk about a door being slammed. And you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You are like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Now, do we need to explain what he meant? I think it's clear, even though I've never met a, an official Pharisee, but we have heard that term. And you may hear it on the media, you may hear it in a movie, you may hear it from somebody in the church. Well, that's just pharisaical. And legalism gets thrown around a lot. If you try to be obedient to the scripture, ah, you're just a legalist because everybody wants to be a libertarian spiritually now. I can do whatever I want. Oh, the blood of Jesus covers all my sin. One person told me uh, many years ago here at our church when I confronted them about a sinful immoral thing in their life they go oh it won't matter i'll just do warfare and it'll be fine that is not what the point of warfare is that is not what jesus is talking about and that's not what liberty in christ actually means jesus made it really clear here and what is a pharisee somebody who tries really hard to obey the law well they did that but that's not what jesus condemned them for Jesus did not condemn the Pharisees because they went to the temple a lot. He didn't condemn them because there were certain things they did and there were also certain things that they didn't do. He didn't condemn them for those things. What he condemned them for was their hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is from a, a Greek word that um, comes from the theater. It means to uh, be an actor, to be involved in drama. And in uh, ancient Greece, they had those, you've probably seen them, uh, those masks. One was happy and one was sad. And they would put the different masks up uh, depending on what their lines reflected. And that's the idea of hypocrisy. Putting on a show, putting on an act, acting a certain way around certain people and for certain causes, certain situations. And uh, that's what the Pharisees were doing. Oh, they could appear to be so holy when they were in the temple. But if you knew the real people, you knew the real Pharisees, um, they were corrupt. And they were, uh, well, you could name a lot of things about them. But the main thing was they didn't come humbly saying, I'm a sinner, I need grace, I need help, I need forgiveness, this is where my problem is. They came with the pretense of I've got everything straight, I've got everything right, I really believe it. It just wasn't the truth about their life and uh, about their belief. In fact, let's just say this. There are a lot of Christians today that they want to abandon their faith, deconstruct their faith. They want to uh, liberalize their faith. 
away from the scriptures and they say, well, I'm just free now and I just don't want to be a legalistic Pharisee and uptight like my church was. I want to be free and I want to be happy and I want to be joyful and I want to be tolerant. Have you heard those words? And actually, if they are still claiming to follow Christ and still claiming to be Bible believers and yet they ignore the Bible and they ignore Christ and go against what is taught, they are the Pharisees. You know why? Because they'll come to a church that preaches the truth, but they don't live the truth that is preached. They will be identified with a group or a movement that believes the truth, but when it comes right down to it, I don't really think we have to believe everything that they say and everything that the church believes and all of that but they still will give money to it they'll still be a part of it and you can talk to them politicians are the worst and you'll find out that they uh, will talk about family values remember when that used to be the buzzword especially if you were a, a republican family values vote your values the erlc said from the southern baptist convention vote your values and uh, I, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, except that we would vote our values and we say we want this type of a politician who will uh, fight abortion and who will uphold family values, only to find out that we who elected them were not upholding family values. The divorce rate is high in the church and uh, the amount of extramarital sex and affairs in the church, or adultery, as Moses called it, is high among believers. What's going on? You hear about people that uh, espouse Christ and the church and run for office and all of that, then the next thing you know, they're getting arrested for drunk driving or embezzlement or any number of things that come up like that. And boy, does the media ever love that. And so this hypocrisy... We find out that some of the people who run for office saying, I'm for traditional family values. Then you find out they're having an affair with their secretary. Or you find out that they're homosexual or something like that. This is the kind of thing that is killing us and it's eating us alive. And it's the idea that we've all heard about. We go to church and uh, we're so pious and so holy and we affirm all the creeds, all the confessions, all the doctrines. And uh, then when we get out into the world, we throw all of that aside or set it aside and we live a completely different life and we reveal what we really are by those type of things. We want mercy, we want grace when we, got, when we get caught, but we don't seem to care too much about it until that actually happens. And it's like your mama used to tell you, are you sorry for what you did or are you just sorry that you got caught? And it's very difficult sometimes to tell the difference. But this is a major issue for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so uh, we want to push other people away. Oh, you're just judging me. You're legalistic. You're being a Pharisee. And the truth of the matter is they are probably much more Pharisaical even than you are. Now, I'm not saying be mean-spirited. And I'm not saying be a hypocrite yourself. I'm just simply saying hypocrisy is the issue that Jesus dealt with. People who say they believe one thing and then they live another. And there's a lot of it going on. And so uh, when we think about people abandoning their faith or deconstructing their faith, as they say, well, I used to think this was wrong, but now I don't think that any longer. Now, if you can give me Bible for that, I'm good with it. 
I'm good with it. It may have been just a tradition. It may have been just a preference. But the Bible doesn't speak to it. That's good. But if you were going to say, set aside the Bible and set aside all of that kind of stuff, and I'm going to do what I want to do, when I want to do it, how I want to do it, with whomever I choose to do it, in spite of what the Bible says, then that would put you in the category of a hypocrite. And the hypocrite is Phariseeism. It's a cover-up. It's a lie. It's a pretense and all of that. So, obviously, we don't want to be anything near that. We want to be true blue all the way through. Now, we want to understand Scripture. We want to understand it properly. We don't want a bunch of made-up rules and extra things that are burdening us down. We want to be true, certainly, to the Word of God. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, Paul dealt with this problem of people abandoning the faith and deconstructing their faith way back then. And he says, Having faith and a good conscience, which some, having rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck. Then he names names. Of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That's pretty severe, isn't it? To deliver someone over to Satan because of that. They've made a shipwreck. Now, you know what I thought of when I thought of shipwreck? I thought of the Titanic and other things like that. What happens when there is a shipwreck? What happens when you hit an iceberg and the ship starts taking on water? You get off of the ship. You abandon ship. They might even say over the loudspeakers, abandon ship. Women and children first into the lifeboats. And there they go running over to the lifeboats and let them down into the water and hopefully to go to safety. When Paul says they are making shipwreck, you know what he's talking about? People that are abandoning the faith. Oh, they once embraced it. Oh, they loved Jesus and they cried and they were so zealous and they did all that. Now they don't really care a whole lot. What's happening? What happened in their lives? Shipwreck. And so they abandon everything that is true, everything they'll hold on to. They abandon the lifeboat, actually, when that comes to pass. And it's very sad to see where lives go and where they end up and uh, how they come to the end of, the of their life with emptiness and nothing and no hope. Or if somehow they were saved and they do repent at some point in their life, which they will if they're truly saved, what happens? They look back on wasted time, wasted opportunity, a wasted testimony. Now, you think about it. You make a profession of faith, you're baptized, and you are a member of a church. And for a period of time, man, you are gung-ho and you are zealous. You're there every time the doors are open. You're studying your Bible. You're talking to everybody about things. You change your lifestyle and somebody invites you to go to a party somewhere. No, I don't do that kind of thing anymore. Uh, somebody starts talking about a movie. Then you say, no, that's not a movie that I would be comfortable seeing. And you take all of these stands. And then one day, can you think of anybody like this? I can. One day, all of a sudden, all that gets abandoned. And all of a sudden, you're involved in all of that. And let's say you go several years in that and you're drinking and partying and immorality and all of those kind of things and let's say that like David you really are saved when you're doing that you're eaten up inside with conviction you know that it's wrong and then you repent now what's the problem with all of that well it's good that you repent and it's great that God will forgive 
sinners and his wayward children, it's wonderful that he'll seek the sheep that goes astray. That's all great. But what do you suppose your family is going to think about that? What do you suppose your friends are going to think about that? What do you suppose the lost people around you are going to think about your testimony now? Oh, you are now serving Jesus again? I mean, probably like you were before, which means any day now you're going to abandon it. And uh, how dare you judge me? And how dare you tell me I need a Savior? I've seen the way you live. I've heard the way that you talk. I mean, it's devastating, isn't it? Devastating to children, devastating to a family. And uh, this is the kind of stuff that Paul was dealing with. And let's face it, this is the world in which we are living. And we find all, all kinds of people who seem to be stalwart, who seem to be faithful, just walking away walking away from it and we don't really know if they are an apostate christian or not until they die if they die in that apostasy well then we're certain about it but as long as they are living we don't know what kind of chastisement they're going through and we don't know if the lord is drawing them back or not and uh, so we pray of course that that happens and one of the things that seems to be uh, bothering so many people about this is we are so quick to say, oh, I'm different, oh, my life has changed, and then we kind of uh, waver and we abandon that kind of stuff, and then we act like, oh, it's grace, so it's no big deal. Oh, God forgives, so it's no big deal. And it really is a big deal. The Bible talks about us uh, not being tossed about by every wind and wave of doctrine, and yet we see so much of that. Why? People don't know what they believe. Now, obviously, false converts don't believe in much of anything, okay? But what about the truly converted person who gets led astray or gets whipped around by the waves and uh, they don't really know how to swim and so they, they sink, so to speak? And um, you know, this is why we end up like this. I'd, I'd like to review those things that we looked at this morning. We said this morning that an evangelical, you may be unfamiliar with that term, it's a broad term for conservative Christianity. Baptists are evangelical. Not all evangelicals are Baptists, but all Baptists would be evangelical. And that's basically this. We believe that the Bible is the highest authority for what we believe. We also believe that it is very important to personally encourage non-Christians to trust Jesus. That's why the word evangelical, evangelistic, the idea of being witnesses for Christ. We also uh, say that Jesus Christ's death on the cross is the only sacrifice that could remove the penalty of my sin. We believe that. Christ and Christ alone. Not Christ plus anything and certainly not minus anything. It's all Jesus and his sacrifice. And that only those who trust Jesus Christ alone as their Savior receive God's free gift of eternal salvation. Okay, That would be, in kind of a nutshell, the stance of our church. We would affirm and agree with every one of those things. And I hope that you would agree as well. And so when Ligonier Ministries did this uh, survey... They did it among people who belong to churches and groups who affirm those things. So we're not talking about Buddhists. We're not talking about atheists. We're not talking about uh, any of those kind of things. This is a pretty conservative group of people. Now, do you remember the statistics that we looked at? Because they're uh, somewhat concerning. Uh, 
and uh, shocking in all of this. We said that uh, 73% believe that Jesus Christ is the first and greatest creation of God. Now, to be fair, there were probably some of them that were kind of caught off guard by that question because it says greatest and uh, that kind of thing in it. And they're probably thinking, oh, Jesus is the greatest and, and uh, he's the son of God. So, yeah, yeah, I could go with that. And they have no idea. That's what Jehovah's Witnesses teach. And that's what Mormons teach, that Jesus is not equal with God in terms of Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And that's the Word that became flesh and dwelt among us in John chapter 1. They just look at that and they go, well, as long as it talks about Jesus, I believe in Jesus, they believe in Jesus, and they're saying he's great, I believe he's great, so yeah, put me down on all of that. And they have no idea how heretical, how wrong, how error-filled that statement actually is. And a lot of people are just so naive. As long as it says Jesus, that's all cool. And so anybody in any church that talks about Jesus, that's just, oh, we all believe in the same God and we all believe in Jesus. But there are widely different views about Jesus. Some believe that he is the first and greatest creation of God. He's not the creator that the Bible speaks of. He's a creation of God. And uh, that is an amazing statistic, 73%. Now, maybe, again, some of them got caught off guard or didn't fully understand it or weren't thinking when they did it, but that's a large number anyway. And then we saw that 58% believe that, you ready for this? God accepts the worship of all religions. And uh, they listed some in there, and Islam was in there. Do the Islamists worship the same God that we worship? And there's this view that says, well, you know, it's just all the same thing. Uh, the word for God, their word for God is different than our word for God, but it's the same God. But when you get into the definition of God, who he is, what he is like, what his nature is, their God is nothing like the God of the Bible. And that would be true of, you know, any number of religions and so uh, to think that there would be that many people that belong to and identify with Bible-believing churches, evangelical churches, that could hold to that. Um, let me just say it. Houston, we have a problem. You agree with that? I mean, this is bad. This is bad news. And uh, these people are claiming to be your brothers and sisters in Christ. 56% believe that worshiping alone or with one's family is a valid replacement for attending the church. I mean, after all, who needs the church? And who needs all the hypocrisy? And who needs all of the sin? And who needs all of that? Well, we all do. Because iron sharpens iron. And we are together serving the Lord Jesus Christ. And we are uh, affirming every time we come together. And whenever we have baptism or whenever we have the Lord's Supper. Or through preaching the truth of the word of God. We are admitting our sin, our failure. The gap that is between us and God. And how Jesus is the only one who bridged that great divide. When he died on the cross for us. 55%. Believe that the Holy Spirit is a force and not a personal being. 
And yet in Acts chapter 5, I believe it is, when Ananias and Sapphira lied about the offering that they gave, the apostle Peter said, you have not lied to men, but to God. Why have you lied against the Holy Spirit? And in that passage calls the Holy Spirit God. Not a force, not impersonal. Don't ever refer to the Holy Spirit as an it. it the Holy Spirit is a he. And uh, get your, if, if there's ever a place where you do want to get the pronouns right, that would be the one, right? With the Holy Spirit. Uh, 55% believe that while everyone sins a little, I mean, you know, we all have a, an eraser on our pencil, they say. People are basically good by nature. And 53% disagree with the claim that even the smallest sin deserves eternal damnation. Like God says, well, I've got a, a point. I'll tolerate it up to this point, but anything above that goes to hell, right? Well, the Lord cannot even look upon iniquity, and He won't allow sin to be in His presence at all. I mean, after all, Adam and Eve, all they did was eat a piece of fruit that they weren't supposed to. That's not a bad sin, is it? But it always spreads, and it infects everyone, and we're by, nature's, we are, by nature we are sinners. And it's interesting, they went from eating a piece of fruit they weren't supposed to, and then their son was a murderer. That's what it does. And that's why all sin has to be eradicated and taken care of by the blood of Jesus. Now, this one is disturbing. 44% believe that Jesus was a great teacher, but was not God. All hail the power of Jesus' name. Yeah, he's okay. He's a pretty good teacher. He's got some good things. He said some things that we can put on a bumper sticker. But other than that, no big deal. That's not what the song says, is it? And when in the book of Revelation, worthy is the lamb that was slain, they talk about him and they praise him and they glorify and they honor him. He's more than just a great teacher. He is God in human flesh. 29%, that percentage is a little smaller, but it's still far too many. 29% agreed with the statement that God learns and adapts to different circumstances. Growing and learning. Can you imagine God in heaven sitting there and he goes, Oops, won't do that twice. That's what they're saying. That is taught at Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. That's one of their big hallmark doctrines. It's called open theism. God is growing. God is learning. God is adapting to the times and to the situations and all of that. And then this survey goes on to say, sadly, only 43% actually disagreed with that statement. What did the others do? Just vote present and move on? I don't know. But that's why we're in trouble. And we're kind of like a bunch of Jonas. Have you ever identified with Jonah? Have you ever thought of yourself as being a Jonah? If you will look in uh, your Bible in Jonah chapter 1, and we'll look at verses uh, 4 through 9, and emphasize verse 9. And I want you to notice what happened here. Now you remember Jonah was told by the Lord, go to Nineveh and preach. You say, why didn't Jonah want to go to Nineveh? Was he a racist or something? No, I don't think that. It had been prophesied that uh, the Assyrian Empire was going to invade the northern kingdom of Israel and take them captive. Jonah knew that. What is the capital of Assyria? Nineveh. 
And so Jonah is thinking, if I go preach in Nineveh, that will spare the Assyrian Empire from destruction. That will leave them free to invade my country and take my people captive and to destroy all of them. So I'm not going to do it. And he would, being a patriot, you know, he probably had a, a hat that said Israel first or something like that. And because of that, his loyalty was more toward his patriotism than it was to God. And so when Jonah says, I ain't doing it. And so he runs from the presence of God, catches a ship that's on its way to Tarshish. And while he is on that ship, God sends a storm. Because you can't run away from God and you can't outrun God. And the storm is a big, big storm that made the sailors on it panic. They're throwing off cargo. They're sacrificing to their pagan gods and all of that type of thing. And um, in these verses 4 through 9, it says, But the Lord sent a great wind on the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners, the sailors, were afraid, and every man cried out to his God, little g, and threw the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten the load. But... Jonah had gone down into the lowest parts of the ship and he had lain down and he was fast asleep. They're panicking, he's sleeping. Because you know what? A backslidden Christian and a backslidden prophet can do that. We can close our eyes to everything going on in the world. We don't see sin, we don't see turmoil, we don't see destruction, we don't see the hellbound nature of everything going on in the world. We just sleep and snooze. And go on like that. Well, the Bible says that uh, the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for sure who uh, has caused this trouble or why this trouble has come upon us. So they cast lots, kind of like rolling dice, and the lot fell on Jonah. So all these superstitious pagans, they're pointing at Jonah and saying, Hey, what's going on, Jonah? What's happening here? And uh, then they said to him, Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? And what is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country? Now I want you to listen to this. And of what people are you? Now look what Jonah says in verse 9. So he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Bold statement. Accurate statement. But you go on down to about verse 11 and look at what your Bible says. He had already told them he was running from God. I fear God, yet I'm running from God. I serve the God who is in control of all of this, and yet because of me, you all are going to die. What gives? Jonah didn't quit believing in God. His statement is a true belief in God. It's just that his life and his actions... Didn't seem to measure up. I'm sure the sailors there were extremely impressed by Jonah's doctrinal statement there, except for the fact that he's running from this God that he supposedly fears. 
Now, can you see the world's confusion when they see us in church, they hear the songs we sing, the things that we talk about, and then they're confused when they watch our life. It doesn't match up. It's not that we change our beliefs, it's that we set them aside and we abandon them. And we may look at people and say, how could somebody like Joshua Harris, who wrote all those good books, now abandon the faith? Well, I've got a better question for you. How can you do it on Monday morning? How can you do it on Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday? How come your life in here doesn't match with your life out there? How come your language in here doesn't match with your language out there? How come your morals in here doesn't match with your morals out there? That's where the problem is because people see us and what comes out of our mouth doesn't match the way that we live. Just like good old Jonah. If you are to look... At another person, we've looked at a prophet with correct theology, and yet this guy who said this wonderful thing about God, I mean, listen to this, could look God in the face and say, no. How do you do that? No, not doing it, not going there. No, I will not obey your will. And yet you claim to fear God. You claim he's the powerful God who created everything. You claim that he's the true and the living God. You sure don't act like it, Jonah. In Galatians chapter 2, 11 through 14, Paul says this, But when Cephas, that's the apostle Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. What would you do that for, Paul? He was an apostle before you were. Here it is. Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, meaning Jerusalem, he was eating with the Gentiles, and they don't eat kosher food, folks. But when they came, the men from Jerusalem, Peter drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically, they followed Peter's lead, along with him, so that even Barnabas, not Barnabas, even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. But when I saw uh, that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas, or Peter, before them all, if you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you or how dare you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And so we think about this. Neither Jonah nor Peter changed their beliefs, but their lifestyle didn't match up with what they said that they believed. Now, in their case, they actually did believe it. But in the case of uh, that survey that we read where so many people deviated, I have a feeling most of them didn't even know they were wrong. They had no idea what the right stance was. They had no idea what the correct theology was. And so they just lived by their feelings. They lived by the things that uh, they thought were right or other people said were right. Or they followed the example of other people like Barnabas did with um, Peter and the other Jews. This is a dangerous situation. And so we end up with something like this. Yes, I believe the Bible is truth. I never read it. I don't cherish it. I don't obey it. It doesn't control my mind. It's, it just teaches me basically how to pretend and how to perform. Now, the Pharisees believed the Bible, read the Bible, studied the Bible, and you know what it did for them? 
didn't bring them to Christ. It didn't bring them to salvation. It didn't bring them to humility. It just taught them how to be a better hypocrite. They would look at the law. Okay, I won't do that, and I'll make sure people see that I don't do that. And I will do this, and I'm going to make sure that people see that I do this. Can you imagine using the Bible, the book of truth, to figure out how to pretend and how to be a hypocrite? And they did that so that others would think that they are spiritual. We say that God is sovereign, and yet I'm afraid, and I panic, and I worry. I fear demons more than I fear God. Or I say, well, God is love, but I'm grumpy, I'm judgmental, racist, isolationist in a Christian sort of way to where we're never around lost people and yet we have the audacity to say God is love. Well, then if he is, we need to be sharing that love. We say God is my king and yet I evaluate his commands to see if I judge them worthy of obeying. It's not obedience if you say I want to look at God's commands to see if I will obey them. It's valid to look and see how to obey them. But far too many people, mm, no, that'll cost too much. Ooh, that'll, I'll, I'll lose friends over that. Oh, my family would think poorly of me. And I, 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 I might lose my job. I might not get that new promotion or something like that. And so we compromise. We say we believe that God is holy. And yet we li live a pornographic life with immorality and we're alcohol addicted, and we're bitter, and we have a sinful life that other people can see and bring shame to the Lord. And what are we saying about ourselves if we don't have this straight and we don't match up our belief with our lifestyle? Lifestyle and belief. Lips and life, some people have said. Well, then we're what James talks about when he speaks of a double-minded man. And I want you to listen to this. James chapter 1, verses 5 through 8. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives uh, generously to all without reproach. And we always stop there. Oh, God will give you wisdom. That's not the whole passage. And it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting or wavering. For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is double-minded and unstable in all his ways. Isn't that what it says when you poll and survey evangelical Christians and find that garbage that they believe? Unstable. They can't walk straight because the ship is going like this. They get seasick all the time and things that would bless you. I mean, if you go to the galley on a, on a cruise ship or something like that, and you eat and you eat all the food, oh, this is great, we can have all we want, and as much as we want of all of these wonderful things we'd never have at home. But if all they do is make you gag and throw up because you're seasick all the time, you're probably not going to enjoy the buffet, are you? And that's the way these people are. They come to church and they go through the motions and they do it, but it doesn't bless them. It sickens them. And they, uh, pardon the expression, they barf it up on the way out to the parking lot. And they get nothing out of it. This is the time in which we live. Perilous times, the Apostle Paul called them. And so what are we going to do about this? We have got to be a single-minded church, sold out to Christ, 
not to a man, not to people, not to friendships, not to relationships. I hope all those take place. But Jesus is our Lord. Jesus is our King. We say that every Sunday morning. Are we living like it? Are we living under His rule? In staff meeting not uh, terribly long ago, we started talking about what we could do. We've watched videos of different things, Bodie Bauckham and the road trip to truth and some of those type of things. And uh, so we were sitting there and Isaac said, why don't we just come up with theological principles and, and talk about those kind of things? And then the next week when we got together, Brother Dale says, hey, I found a book that I think might work for all of this. And so I took them all in and I'm going to claim credit for it. And uh, we are going to go through... On Sunday nights, Paul Tripps, we've seen a lot of his videos and things. A lot of you have his devotional. It's a book called, Do You Believe? And the subtitle is, 12 Historical Doctrines for Everyday Life. And we're going to emphasize that, everyday life. This is not merely academic. This is not merely get all the information, because you can have all of that and die and go to hell. The devil's a master theologian. Even the demons believe and tremble. We want this to impact our lives. How can I know God? How can I know what His Word says so that it affects the way I treat my spouse? So that it affects the way that I parent my children? So that it affects the way that I, uh, my work ethic and the way that I live in front of other people? That instead of confusing them because I'm stumbling all over the deck of a ship that's going back and forth and I'm throwing up over the side... They can actually look and see that I'm enjoying the ride. They can actually look and see that the peace of God that passes all understanding is guarding my heart and mind through Christ Jesus. But we think all of that just supposed to be a hocus-pocus, automatic, rub the magic lamp that we call the Bible and give credence to God and poof, everything is okay. No, you got to work a little at it. And so we are going to have some of our men... uh, teach these different sessions on Sunday nights and we're going to start in March and we would like for you to have the book and so Brother Dale is going to be ordering some if you want one please let him know and we will give it to you at a reduced cost because we want you to have it and we want you to be able to follow along as these men each week on Sunday nights will be teaching I'll start it off on March the 10th, and then we will go from there. And I think it'll be a blessing to you to see these men from your church, men that you know, men from your fellowship, as they affirm the truth and their faith in God and help us all to become more solid. In other words, what we are praying that God will do through this is cause the winds and the waves to stop beating us to death to settle us down and make it to where we can really, really enjoy the feast that we get in God's Word. And it's not just how much do you know about the Bible, it's how much do you know about the God who revealed Himself through the Word. How much do you know about your salvation? How much do you know about your Lord and Savior, the glorious King the Lord Jesus Christ. So that's where we're going, and that's why we're going that way, because we don't want to end up like those other evangelicals. We want to be straight as an arrow. We want to be solid, and yet at the same time, we don't just want to know about God. We want to know God through all of this, feast on His Word, and enjoy seeing how He is working in the lives of the different people 
that are going to be speaking. So we'll give you more information about that later on. And we don't want to be the double-minded man who doesn't receive anything from God. Steady, making it our aim to please Him, as Paul said, and loving the Lord with all of our hearts, everything we have, and that spills out into everyday life, loving our neighbor as we love ourselves, and letting others see our good works and then glorifying our Father which is in heaven. It's a practical theology, a functional theology that we're looking for. And so that's where we're headed. And I really do hope and plead with you to be a part of this. This is what we need. This is what will really make a difference in your life. Not the next seminar or the next fad that comes along or some psychological thing that comes. You need the Bible and you need to understand the Bible. And often... The Bible, to us, we know a verse here, a verse here, a verse here, a verse here. In fact, I've been in churches where we had deacons that knew the church constitution, but they didn't know their Bible. This kind of stuff is eating us alive. And it's like a big jigsaw puzzle has been dumped on the stage, and we've got 3,000 pieces piled up, and we say, yeah, we believe that their Bible, but we don't know how it fits. We don't know how it puts together. We don't even know what the picture is supposed to be on the puzzle. Get what I'm saying? And we want to try to help you to put the picture together and put the jumbled pieces together so that it impacts your daily life. You with me? I hope you are. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, we do this for your glory and for your holiness. We do this because you are the Lord of the church. This is not our church. This is your church. We do this because we are ambassadors for Christ to represent you. We do this because we're hurting And we're stumbling. We do this because so many people who identify with us are actually contradicting everything that they say they believe. And yet they call us the Pharisees when they're the true hypocrites. But at the same time, Lord, we don't want any hypocrisy in our lives at all. We want our lives to match up from start to finish, from daybreak to bedtime. We want our kids to see consistency in us. We want our neighbors and the people we work with to see consistency in our lives. But we also want it to be consistently glorifying Christ. We want to be able to answer people's questions about God and about the Bible and about salvation. We want to be able to do it intelligently. We want to be able to do it accurately And we want to be able to do it in a way that will please you. So we're asking you, help us, Lord. Help us. We want to know you. Bless this in our church. Bless the men who have agreed to help teach this. And may it all be for the glory of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.